Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash AVQ. This activity is supported by an educational grant from BI and Eli Lilly Alliance. Welcome to this Peer Voice activity on heart failure. This activity comprises two presentations featuring a panel of international experts. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello to everybody. Uh, I think it's great to welcome you to this new education activity on heart failure. Uh, my name is Ewa Jankowska. Uh, I work in Wrocław Medical University in Wrocław, Poland. I'm a cardiologist and also geriatrician. And joining me in the discussion are my esteemed colleagues, um, uh, great, great experts, not only in heart failure. Professor Giuseppe Rosano from St. George University Hospital in London, UK, and Professor Faizanat from Université de Lorraine Academic Hospital in Nancy, France. It's great to see you both. I think we live in very good times. A lot can be offered to patients with heart failure. Uh, we have great, great accumulating data regarding the role of SGLD2 inhibitors uh, across the whole spectrum of patients with heart failure. Something which I think is extremely important that at the moment we have the drug that can deal with diabetes, heart failure, chronic kidney disease. And this is really great because our patients are patients with multi-comorbidities and offering the drug which has multiple actions, it's really great for our patients. Something which I think is also very important is the fact that at the moment this drug can be offered to patients across the whole spectrum of heart failure. Therefore, I think it's good to start the discussion regarding the pathophysiology of HFREF, pathophysiology of HFPEF, and see uh, what, how we understand this problem now and if there are any differences. So uh, I would like to ask uh, Professor Zanat why it's no longer useful to consider heart failure and half path uh, as distinct conditions as we used to do before. Yeah, Eva, you have uh, done a wonderful job introducing the context and certainly for the first time ever, we do have a drug which unequivocally treats patients across the full spectrum of ejection fraction, and therefore one wonder whether we should wait until we have a measurement of ejection fraction before we get an SGLT2 inhibitor. My answer, and the answer of all people who have been involved in this, is that no, you shouldn't wait. I think it's, it's very important that for decades, cardiologists have been using ejection fraction to classify patients with heart failure. Uh, there is no doubt, there is the great value and we have a lot of experience uh, regarding using ejection fraction to treat patients, to monitor improvement of these patients. Uh, is ejection fraction still the best way to classify patients with heart failure or not? Would you also consider uh, or would not consider HFREF and HFPEF as distinct conditions? Thank you, Eva. Uh, I think today the importance of uh, the left ventricular function has changed. 
in the past we've used it to identify patients with reduced ejection fraction and therefore classify all the others as preserved. Today, we mostly have to use uh, left ventricular ejection fraction to direct our treatments, as we know that there are treatments that work below 40% of ejection fractions, whilst we have the SGLT2 inhibitors that work all across the left ventricular function. So we should be using it more to guide our therapies rather than to classify patients into buckets. Of course, you may eventually need to have an ejection fraction at some point, but not necessarily for the purpose of initiating on SGA2 inhibitors. Efficacy is regardless of ejection fraction. Professor Rosano, could you comment on the direct and indirect actions of SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with heart failure? Yes, Eva. A lot of speculation has uh, been, has been raised after the um, tremendous effect of the SGLT2 inhibitors in uh, uh, clinical practice. Uh, however, despite uh, uh, different studies suggesting a possible effect on cardiac hemodynamics, other on inflammation and uh, uh, endothelial functions, other on cardiac metabolism and oxidative stress, I think today we largely um, unknown, don't know the effect of the uh, SGLT2 inhibitors. Of course, pro most probably the, their effect on uh, in patients with heart failure is due to uh, several mechanisms, not just one. Probably an effect on uh, cardiac metabolism and uh, coupled with an effect on hemodynamics, but also, and what is important, an effect on uh, sympathetic nervous system. Uh, uh, given that the uh, SGLT2 inhibitors reduce the pulsatility of uh, insulin uh, during our daily life. I think it's good to briefly discuss the key results, key results of the trials that finally led to the approval of SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with HFREF, and also to include them in the recent both European and American guidelines. Professor Zanat, could you comment? Could you provide us your comments on the results of DAPA-HF and the reduced uh, trials? Sure. Um, uh, Emperor-reduced uh, had uh, uh, come up uh, um, um, after DAPA-HF, and uh, the two trials are extremely similar. They are using uh, one single dose of 10 milligram of each, either whether dapagliflozin or ampagliflozin, a patient with uh, ejection fraction below 40%. Uh, the primary outcome was CV death and heart failure hospitalization, and both trials hit exactly the same, almost the same numbers, with a very significant uh, decrease of 20-25% of uh, this uh, uh, risk of uh, uh, dying from a cardiovascular cause or being admitted for heart failure hospitalization. This is a very classical endpoint in heart failure trials, and therefore we don't have one, we have two trials reproducing exactly the same result, and we call this external validity. Now, as I mentioned, in both trials, the renal function decline was another outcome, and both medication could decrease the decline of renal function and kind of preserve kidney function as well. And as such, these trials were actually cardiorenal trials, and therefore, we have with this class of drug, SGLT2 inhibitors, a benefit on cardiovascular and renal outcome in patients with reduced ejection fraction, very reproducible. And the subgroup analysis in each 
trial has shown exactly very consistent results and therefore the level of evidence is undoubtedly A and that's what has been coined by the uh, international guidelines and the recommendation subsequently is, for, uh, is, is certainly level 1 and, and therefore uh, 1A is the strongest level of evidence and, and, and recommendation. What about the results that we have, quite quite new data regarding the uh, position of SGLT2 inhibitors in HFPEF? This is even more intriguing and expected because this is the first drug that has been shown to save lives in our patients. Uh, you're right. Uh, the expectations were higher because so far we had some circumstantial evidence and some medication we were using in HFPEF with uh, not a very strong level of evidence. And uh, indeed, Emperor Preserved first and Deliver second has come up with the highest possible level of evidence with a large magnitude of benefit. And by the way, the two trials, again, were twin trials, very similar. And they are just being enrolled patients with the ejection fraction above 40%. And guess what? They showed exactly the same result than Emperor reduced. And therefore, we have Emperor Preserved and Deliver showing uh, the decline in the risk of uh, CV death and heart failure hospitalization, the risk of repeat hospitalization, and certainly as pre-specified from Emperor Preserved, a decline in the um, a slope of uh, deterioration of renal function. And therefore, what has been shown in Emperor and reduced and DAPHF in, in HFRAF is now reproduced and extended to HFPAF. So we really need to think about these drugs as being effective across the full spectrum of ejection fraction. I think that we really have really great data across the whole spectrum of uh, ejection fraction regarding both efficacy and safety for both empagliflozin and dapagliflozin in patients with heart failure drugs that at the very beginning were considered only as anti-diabetic drugs, finally became the drugs used to save lives, to prevent heart failure hospitalization in patients with heart failure. But it looks like that for the, I think also first time, we have drugs to use them in patients with chronic kidney disease, both in patients with and without heart failure. And this is something I think unique. We have several data regarding the SGLT2 inhibitors and renal outcomes. Professor Zanat, could you comment on that? Well, uh, that's really important because, of course, we have the heart failure trials, and but we have also the CKD trial, and soon we'll have MPA kidney, which has been announced as being positive, and the results are going to be known very soon, hopefully reproducing the results of DAPA-CKD. Um, and these are in all CKD patients with and without diabetes, uh, but not necessarily with heart failure because most heart failure patients were excluded from these trials. Now, specifically in heart failure, in uh, the trial with empagliflozin and dapagliflozin, patients were enrolled with a very, very low EGFR. And therefore, across this very large spectrum of patients, we had a variety of uh, uh, kidney function and a variety of micro and macroalbuminuria as well. So what we have seen is that uh, not only the hard outcomes of progression to uh, a sustained decline of EGFR or renal death or end-stage renal disease 
was prevented by HDL2 inhibitors, but also uh, the progression from micro to macroalbuminuria, or also the decline from macroalbuminuria to normal albuminuria was promoted by this class of drug. So no matter how you look at the data, these medications are very strongly kidney protective. And now we have shown that in heart failure, but also in CKD patient, and it has been shown as well in diabetes. Professor Rosano, could you comment on the, on the conclusions arising from these meta-analyses? Um, yes, Ivan. Uh, I think we have to differentiate uh, two different types of analysis. One are um, the, uh, the pooled analysis, where clinical trials have been analyzed back to back in order to show an efficacy of the drugs all, ac all across the left ventricular function. While the others are the meta-analysis, where they've uh, uh, either individual patient meta-analysis or aggregate data have been put together just to support the efficacy of these drugs on the various endpoints, hospitalizations for heart failure, cardiovascular mortality, and on all these endpoints, these drugs have shown a clear-cut effect. Uh, Professor Zanat, Professor Rosano, I think uh, we have really great discussion and quite precisely summarized the key evidence which shows us that we are at the moment in really the completely new era of the treatment of patients with heart failure. And something which is very important, for the first time, we have molecules that can be used in all heart failure patients across the whole spectrum of ejection fraction. This is something unique. And another extreme uniqueness is already discussed by my colleagues is the fact that treating heart failure with these drugs, we also can't help treat diabetes and we also can treat or even prevent uh, kidney, kidney dysfunction. Data are really great, but I think now it's time to move to the next session where we'll discuss the practicalities, how we can implement these treatments in everyday clinical practice. Uh, hello, um, welcome to this new activity, educational activity on the state-of-the-art management of patients with heart failure. Uh, my name is Ewa Jankowska. I work in Wrocław Medical University in Poland, and it's for me it's really great honor and great pleasure to uh, to have with me in this discussion my really great experienced colleagues, Professor uh, Giuseppe Rosano from St George University Hospital in London, UK, and Professor Faye Zanat from Université de Lorraine Academic Hospital in Nancy, France. It's already one year when we published and discussed the ESC heart failure guidelines. Later, we have American guidelines. Professor Rosano, could you elaborate how these new therapies, including SGLT2 inhibitors, can be uh, implemented in patients with heart failure? What is the modern position of these drugs? Yes, Eva. Uh, the evidence we have today for the four foundation therapies is such that we have to implement uh, all of them at any encounter in patients with heart failure. Therefore, not just at discharge, but whenever we have an encounter with patients with um, uh, heart failure, we may, uh, must make sure that uh, uh, they are taking uh, all the four foundation therapies. Once they are treated with the four foundation therapies, we can go 
to uh, class two uh, drugs, but it is important not just to limit our intervention in the post-hospitalization period, but at any encounter, given that there are many patients out there that are not treated with appropriate medical therapy. Uh, I think we have really good uh, agreement that these four fundamental therapies uh, are recommended in virtually all patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction uh, to, to, to prevent heart failure hospitalizations, to prevent cardiovascular death. But how to implement the, these guidelines in clinical practice? Professor Zanat, could you give advice to our, our colleagues? Well, that's a really, really, very important question because we've been frustrated uh, presenting the highest possible level of evidence and uh, great medication, foundational therapies, life-saving therapies. But yet, most of registries and observational data are showing that we are not doing a good job. Patients are not taking full advantage of the medication. Many patients are not taking the four medication at once and or they are taking it at the lowest possible dose and being discontinued, not being reinitiated. So we need to recognize that we need to do a better job. Now, the main reason is that many of the uh, classical heart failure medication, life-saving, whether it is mineral receptor antagonists or beta blockers or uh, RAS inhibitors, uh, uh, ACE, ARBs, and RNAs, do have some issue when we initiate them and uptake trade. There is a need for starting low, going slow, and increasing the dose until the maximum tolerated dose. And uh, the issue is that many and certainly general physicians and cardiologists are concerned about safety. They are concerned about hypotension. They are concerned about uh, uh, worsened renal function, hyperkalemia. And uh, most of the time, they would stop uh, dose progression just because of any one of these concerns or any one of these side effects. Now, for the first time ever, we have a medication from the class of SGLT-tunibir, which we may use with not such concern. And therefore, SGLT-tunibir could be started at any time, at whether patients are naive or they've been already receiving, or they are de novo or on other medication, because it doesn't interfere with any other medication, if any, the benefit is additional to the other medication, and if any, there is less hyperkalemia when patients are receiving an MRA, for example, and when they are added with an SGL2 So this is one concern that we don't have with GLT2 inhibitor. But still, we have the issue of having these four medication, an MRA, a beta blocker, uh, an ACE inhibitor, ARBs or NADI, and an SGA2 inhibitor to start them at once. How can we sequence this and stage this medication? I would say there are many potential strategies, but the simple way to put this together is the sooner the better, and the quicker the better. So you can start by any one of these medications. I would actually really get the sooner the better patient on an SG2 inhibitor because it doesn't interfere at all with safety and with other medication. And the best is uh, example is going to be coming soon at the AHA, whereby the strong HF trial is going to be presented. And strong HF has been 
uh, stopped prematurely, uh, but the press announcer said that this trial met its primary endpoint, which is prevention of readmission and death in patients short after discharge from heart failure hospitalization. Basically, what this trial tested, and this was before the era of SGLT2 inhibitor, is putting all medication at once together before patients are discharged and then have the heart failure doc seeing this patient every week during the uh, month following discharge in order to down-titrate or up-titrate and get all this medication at once within four weeks. This was compared to the usual care. And guess what? This intense, short after discharge, putting all the medication together was much more efficient than usual care in getting patients out of trouble and uh, preventing readmission and CV death. So the, make it simple, use this medication as soon as you can and all combined together and hopefully within less than four, month, uh, four weeks. Um, something which I think could also help our colleagues is the concept of phenotyping patients with, uh, patients with heart failure. We already know that uh, many drugs are related with some side effects, that there are some limitations regarding the blood pressure, heart rate, uh, kidney function. Uh, Professor Rosano, could you comment uh, whether this phenotyping can guide our colleagues and where we could, in what phenotypes uh, can we position the SGLT2 inhibitors? Uh, yes, Eva. Uh, uh, given the lack of an effect of uh, the SGLT2 inhibitors on blood pressure and uh, heart rate, and because of the beneficial effect on uh, uh, renal function, now basically there are no phenotypes in which uh, uh, the SGLT2 inhibitors are not recommended. And if you look at the position paper of the uh, Heart Failure Association that, is, uh, that should guide our treatment of patients with uh, heart failure, you can clearly see that the SGLT2 inhibitors are the only class of drugs that can be used uh, all across the board, all across the spectrum of patients with uh, um, heart failure. Something which I think is also very important, already mentioned by Professor Zanat and Professor Rosano, that uh, we would like to start the new drugs, including SGLT2 inhibitors, as soon as possible. And the time when I think it's time to discuss with patients, and we still can do this, is the situation when patients is hospitalized, is stabilized. And then we plan together with nurses, dietitian, the further management plan of our patients. Uh, at the moment, as you can see, we have data coming from the Impulse trial demonstrating that such a strategy of implementing, in this case, empagliflozin is really effective, but also is very safe. I would also argue that uh, if we start the new drugs before discharge in hospital, this is much more likely that the patients will be on these drugs than if we plan the start of the new drug when patients already is discharged in the outpatient setting. Data on the efficacy of the SGLT2 inhibitors, we also have data confirming that the safety of uh, these drugs uh, is acceptable. And in fact, there is no differences regarding the risk of any adverse event, any serious adverse event between the uh, active arms and the placebo arms in any of the trials. Uh, 
the risk of going into ketoacidosis, going into acute renal failure is really uh, clinically meaningless. And something that is really important that the balance between the safety and efficacy is positive for this uh, group of drugs. Uh, Professor Rosano, could you also comment uh, what are the most suitable patients where SGLT2s should be implemented and what are the clinical situation where we should rather avoid using SGLT2 inhibitors in everyday clinical practice? Eva, um, I think we, sh uh, we should use these drugs, uh, as I said earlier, at any encounter with patients with heart failure because of the beneficial effect, because of the rapid onset of action. We see the benefits within a few weeks. And uh, rather than thinking on which patients we should use them, we should think at the, which are the very, very few patients in which we cannot use them. Uh, and these are probably those patients with uh, recurrent uh, genital infections or those patients with uh, um, ketoacidosis, so diabetic with ketoacidosis. But apart these few uh, cases, the SGLT2 inhibitors should be implemented in all patients because they are easy to use and they're virtually uh, free of any uh, side effect. Uh, if there are genital infections, this uh, uh, drug should be discontinued, but patients uh, should be rechallenged. And uh, But overall, my experience is that these events are very, very rare. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, together with Professor Zanat, Professor Rosano, I think we had really great discussion uh, summarizing, but also discussing the practicalities, how to optimally use SGLT2 inhibitors in everyday clinical practice. There is no doubt that these drugs are recommended to be used for patients with heart failure across the whole spectrum of addiction fraction. Uh, we should also remember that we can see beneficial effects regarding the improvement in cardiovascular status, but also in diabetic status and prevention or treatment of kidney function. Uh, the drugs should be started as soon as possible. They are available to be used in outpatient but also in, in hospital settings. Data from the, for example, a PULSE trial emphasize that the implementation of these drugs already when patients is stabilized before discharge, this is the good time to provide the patient the important life-saving therapies. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.